Welcome to the Arlington Street Church podcast. Founded in 1729, Arlington Street continues today as a gathering place for progressive people of faith in the greater Boston area and beyond. We are located at the corner of Arlington and Boylston Streets, across from the Public Garden in Boston, Massachusetts. Please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace. On Sunday, June 2nd in 2019, I was scheduled to be worship coordinator and got here a little early to get the pulpit ready for worship by tidying up and setting out the candles and the chalice. The choir was just finishing up their rehearsal, so I was trying to be as quiet as a church mouse up here when I got to witness a very special moment. You see, longtime members Tori Bell and Holly Hendricks were getting ready to move to Maine. Tori had been in the choir as long as I could remember, and that was their last Sunday here before their move. As the choir ended their rehearsal, our music director, Mark David, assembled all 18 of them into a circle right in front of the chancel, just right about here. And they sang a song by Matthew Meyer Bolton called Music. The acoustics up here in the pulpit are generally not that great, but at that moment, I had the perfect front row seat as all 18 voices joined in song to send Tori off. I had heard that song as part of worship services before, but the lyrics hit very different that morning. We are going to a place where music falls and fills up everything. And though it may be a long time, know it's gonna be all right because we've already started to sing. I listened to a voice that told me to hit record on my phone and I caught the last few bars of that very special moment. The harmonies were exquisite. The moment was truly beautiful. Everyone's love for Tori was palpable in the air. The sadness, grief, and sense of loss at having to say goodbye were still present but they had somehow been transmuted by that lovingly sung song. I learned that morning what a very special community the choir is within our beloved spiritual community. Tori gave me permission to share that story with you, and she said she was very moved that morning and still misses everyone. She visited last November, and I was filled with joy to see her singing with the choir again during her visit. I invite you to reflect with me on the magical moments that happen here as we gather in love and service for justice and peace, and to consider how those moments provide opportunities for healing and growth. And spoiler alert, I'm not going to introduce any new spiritual practices. As we draw to the end of summer, I invite, you, I invite us to just take a pause and look around at what works what works here as we prepare to start a new church year? And let's get one easy thing out of the way first. I think we can all agree that one thing that really works well here at Arlington Street is our music. Mark David does an awesome job with the choir and our soloists. I'm gonna try to not fanboy gush right now, but I was thrilled when I learned that Beck and Andrew were going to be our musicians this morning. <laughs> Each week, we get to experience how well Mark David co-creates the worship experience with Reverend Kim. 
I never thought I'd hear Supertramp or so many Beatles songs at church, but every single time our musicians really select the perfect songs for the moment. A few weeks ago, NPR had a short series called Weekly Dose of Wonder. On the July 29th episode of the series, Rob Stein had some scientists explain the power of music to spark awe. As he thought about the music he enjoyed throughout his life, he observed, music could always lift me up and transport me. It's the closest I've ever come to having a religious experience. His first guest was a neuroscientist at McGill University in Montreal who scans the brains of people while they listen to, to tunes. He explained that music does evoke a sense of wonder and awe for lots of people. Some of it is still mysterious to us, but what we can talk about are some neural circuits and networks involved in the experience of pleasure and reward. When you're listening to music that you really like, brain circuits involving parts of the brain called the amygdala, ventral tegmental area, and the nucleus accumbens come online. These are the same areas that get activated if you're thirsty and you take a drink of water. Neurons in the brain even fire with the beat of the music, which helps people feel connected to one another by literally synchronizing their brain waves when they listen to the same song. Music also has a calming effect, slowing our heart rate, deepening our breathing, and lowering stress hormones. This makes us feel more connected to other people as well as the world around us, especially when we start to dance together. Another guest on the program, a psychologist from the University of California at Berkeley further explained, those pathways of changing our body, symbolizing what is vast and mysterious for us, and then moving our bodies triggers the mind into a state of wonder. Emotions like awe, which stimulates the brain into a sense of wonder, help counter the epidemic of our times, which is loneliness. With music, we feel we're part of community, and that has a direct effect on health and well-being, which is crucial for survival. That could be why music plays such a powerful role in many religions, spirituality, and rituals. I think it's kind of funny that going to church has become so countercultural that NPR needs to consult with neuroscientists and psychologists to confirm what we here already know and experience every time there's music in the air. And the good news is that even if you're just lip syncing or humming along as we sing hymns, you experience the full benefit of being immersed in the music around you. Without music, our worship service would be reduced to a lecture, or at best, a TED Talk maybe. The magic of music helps the insights and lessons reach us in a very profound way. When considering special moments, I found myself remembering a memorial service that was held here in the sanctuary. I've asked a congregant whose mother passed away whether I could share parts of his story with you and he has given me permission to do so. For the purposes of today's sermon, I will call him Bill. The memorial service for Bill's mother is something that I witnessed for myself as I had volunteered to help livestream the service onto Zoom. 
Several others in our community volunteered to help with the reception after the memorial service, helping the grieving family and friends. Reverend Kim and Reverend Beth uh, shared poems, including a Mary Oliver poem, of course. Bill and his siblings shared remembrances, as did some of the next generation who shared touching tributes about their grandmother. Reverend Kim said that day, for it is love's tribute that we came to offer here today. Our voices might be the voices of grief, but the language of grief seeks is the language of love. And we who gather here come in love's name with a calm and abiding trust in love's immortality and consecrating power. And of course, there was beautiful music from Mark David and Beck. They sang In My Life by the Beatles and Brave by Sarah Bareilles. They also sang a song that I had not heard before that day called Hope. The lyrics were poignant in the context of the memorial service, but since then, I've come to think of them as expressing something very special about this beloved spiritual community as we navigate the times we live in. There is hope in our eyes when we truly see each other. Like the light of countless stars, we are not afraid of the dark because there is hope in our hearts. There is hope in our voice when we listen to each other. Barriers disappeared with every story told. Now I've shared my perspective and experience of that beautiful day. And two weeks ago, after church, I approached Bill and explained I was writing my summer sermon. And I wanted to ask if he had some thoughts that he might want to share about his experience here at Arlington Street. He agreed and we scheduled uh, a time a week later to chat. Rich and I were here putting away uh, tech equipment after service when Bill returned about 15 minutes later. He said he realized he wasn't gonna be here the following week after all, and was afraid that he'd leave me hanging without hearing his story. More about that in a, just a little bit. He asked if I had time to chat then instead of scheduling another time. So we chatted, and his story took a very different direction than what I had expected, and actually ended up involving a couple other Unitarian Universalist congregations in other parts of the country. I'm going to share his stories with you now, as looking at these other congregations will also help us get perspective on what works to help people through healing and growth. Bill shared with me a story about redemption and started the story by telling me that he had had a successful life going to college, going to grad school, getting a PhD, getting married, having kids, and a really nice house, but somehow wasn't happy. He, he, call, he felt called to find purpose by volunteering at a homeless shelter. He invited his neighbors to participate at a work weekend at, for the shelter, but they rebuffed his invitation. Why would I want to do that? He's like, I have no interest in doing something like that, but thank you. Even with volunteering, though, his, his unhappiness festered, and he turned to alcohol and drugs and became a functioning addict. As addiction is a progressive disease, he eventually hit rock bottom, having lost his job, living in his car, with funds dwindling. He went to a park lined with churches, 
the churches would offer meals to the homeless. And he noticed that one church didn't participate in the meal service. Um, they weren't ever there, even though their building had a sign that said, all are welcome. This was the local Unitarian Universalist congregation. He went to them uh, homeless, penniless, hopeless, just to kind of see what they were about. Maybe curious because they, they're not doing meal service, so say all is welcome. Let me go see what's, what's up there. They took him in with open arms. Come on in, we'll work with you. What do you need help for with housing? Okay. What do you need help with to find a job? Got it. Bill had noticed that other, the other churches that had provided meals always asked for something in return, either belief in a creed or sometimes street missionary work. These folks who were helping him never asked for anything. If they asked him to do anything, it was simply to live his life and do the next right thing. They didn't have any dogma and simply looked for what's one thing that can help the situation. Bill found himself wondering, is this really what Unitarian Universalism is about? I looked up the UU congregation's Google reviews to get a sense of what others think of them, and, and I found that it aligns with Bill's story. One says, a welcoming, lovely community of folks, accepting everyone no matter what they look like, who they are, what their abilities are, or who they love. Great choir, too. Bill created a homeless advocacy group while at that UU congregation, and they helped him get back on his feet. Bill continued his story, telling me about a few years later in another city with a large UU congregation. He had reconnected with one of his children after being estranged for five years. With the support of the ministers, they crafted a workshop about parents reuniting with their children as a part of the recovery process after suffer, suffering the damaging effects of addiction. Not surprisingly, this congregation also had some really good reviews. The services here pull from deeply enriching literature, actual novels and poetry, as well as a variety of ancient scriptures. It is quite common for me to leave this place feeling as though I've gained life-changing insights. I can't get enough. When Bill was done telling me about these two chapters in his life, he said he felt gratitude for the experience and that the experience guides him in his life and has made him a better person. Earlier, I mentioned that he had come back to the church so we could have our conversation when he realized our original plan wouldn't, wouldn't pan out. His experience has given him a stronger sense of empathy and made him more considerate as a result. I appreciated him coming back. As, I needed, as indeed I would, have been, I would have had to scramble a bit if he had simply not shown up a week later. And he understood the implications of making such a decision and opted to spend a little time to find a solution that worked for both of us. I appreciated his care and concern and definitely felt more connected to him by the time our conversation was done. Redemption stories are frequently told through the eyes of the individual going through the redemptive arc. But Bill's story has me wondering about the two UU congregations and how they both managed to meet him where he was without any judgment. It's clear that a safe environment was essential to get him a toehold. 
What's also clear to me is that writing this sermon provided a new opportunity to make a connection with Bill. My spiritual companions, we're 15 minutes into this sermon and I feel like we're just starting to scratch the surface about tools we have to heal and help ourselves and each other. Tea with the ministers each Wednesday can be the sort of safe environment where stories get shared because the truth because the truth is there's trauma today and there will be trauma tomorrow. All the spiritual practices that we learn about here are the tools we have in hand. A bit later, Hala will mention things like our poetry meditation and writing groups. All of these can be helpful ways to process hurt and emotions and find spiritual growth. Creating and appreciating arts can be a powerful way to heal whether it be a beautiful poem, a dance song, or a TikTok or YouTube video that helps you find truth and meaning. In that spirit, I'm gonna leave you with a quote from a character from Star Trek, Strange New Worlds. The character, La'an Noonien Singh, has a seemingly tough exterior that masks a damaged and emotional core. And because it's Star Trek, thanks to a little unexpected time travel, she found new insights. He saw me, beyond my name and all that, and I liked it. I liked the way he looked at me, because through his eyes, I could finally see the person I had the potential to be. Someone who wasn't burdened by tragedy and darkness. Someone who could find hope and live in that hope. Someone free, free to feel and take chances and make connections. Amen, Ashe, and blessed be. And now for our benediction, I invite you to put your hands over your heart in namaste. I bow to the divine in you. We close with the words of Donna Markova. I will not die an unlived life. I will not live in fear of falling or catching fire. I choose to inhabit my days to allow my living to open me, to make me less afraid, more accessible, to loosen my heart until it becomes a wing, a torch, a promise. I choose to risk my significance, to live so that which came to me as seed goes to the next as blossom, and that which came to me as blossom goes on as fruit. Let us keep this faith, beloveds, and pass it on. The service begins when the service ends. Bless your hearts. Go.
please visit ASCBoston.org for more information about this historic Unitarian Universalist congregation. Arlington Street Church, gathered in love and service for justice and peace.